Hello and welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. Uh, it, I am, I am Paul Fertifilli. Uh Tiara Ward isn't with us right this moment. Um, I have with me in my company, my good man, Joey. Say hi. Hey, how are you guys? Uh, yeah, today's episode. Fuck, it's been a long time since we've, uh, since we've recorded, eh? Lots happened. It's been about, what, six months or something? Man, I think it's been longer. I don't even want to really think about it, but it, it feels like it's been a year. Maybe it hasn't been, but we've moved gyms in that time. We've got a dope new spot now still in Botany. It's the one. It's unreal. I love it in here. I don't think when we recorded last time that all three of us were full-time in the business either. Well, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if you were. Yeah, potentially No, Either way, I've been here. It's yeah. Been, it's been a year now. Um, yeah, I'm loving it, my new role. It's been a steep learning curve, but um, far out. Lots, lot, lots to be thankful for. Fuck yeah, man. Good times. So yeah, look, today's episode, we had, uh, ha, man, we extracted some absolute gold. We had Emmett Lewis, aka the Splits Wizard, uh, back for his second visit at the Jungle Brothers gym. Uh, all the way from Dublin. Dublin. Your man. He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was, again, full of heaps of golden info. So for anyone looking to increase mobility, even like on the body weight strength side of things and the gymnastic stuff, he's just a fucking smart dude and full of quality banter so naturally he got along with us just fine he's a very good coach like he he knows his stuff technically but he can also deliver it he's 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 irish he's, he's good with people eh? So yeah he can he can bring super, it on your level super chill yeah yeah i've been doing online coaching with him since we uh, yeah. since we recorded with him last year or you know not long after that because i was like oh this guy's a legend and uh, i've been enjoying the shit out of that so yeah, it was really good to get him back in and have him in the new space. Um, so, yeah, look, heaps of classic info in today's, in today's episode. Um, look, a couple other things to let you guys know about. Coming up at JB's, we've actually got a whole bunch of stuff happening next month. 14th, 15th of April, we've got Yuri Marmstein back in the house, the, uh, the, red. the red bearded acrobat, which is a name that I made up for him. It's oh, I thought that was, thought that <laughs> yeah. was no. known out there. No, I just did it because um, it makes sense. But he's coming back for his second visit here. He'll be teaching a two-day workshop. So if you want info on that, uh, it's on our Facebook page. We're co-hosting the event or you can reach out to us, personnel. Um, also in April, 21st, 27th, I am going to Bali to represent the Jungle Brothers to run a retreat with some friends of ours from the Human Evolution Lifestyle Project, HELP. Um, they do a lot of Wim Hof type stuff, a lot of ice baths, a lot of meditation, yoga work. And I'm bringing the, the JB strength and movement side of things. So we're doing like a six day event in a fucking beautiful five star resort type place um, in Bali. I think there might still be a couple of spots left. So if, you, if you're down for the ultimate like kind of escape with a bunch of training and flexibility and just good times and, and recharge, uh, hit us up. And then the weekend I get back, which is the 28th to 29th of April, we've got Rafe Kelly, Evolve, Move, Play. He's flying out, I think, from the US, and he's going to be doing his thing, two-day workshop. I don't know if you've seen much about that photo. I cannot wait for it. Yeah. Run I, through trees and shit? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've seen a bunch of his YouTube stuff, and I've also seen a few interviews, heard a few podcasts with him. He's a really super intelligent guy who likes to break things down and make sense of them and deliver them and spread the good word to people. He's like, imagine parkour through, through trees. 
Um, That's but, his jam, eh? Yeah, but he's a, he's, a, he's a family man as well. So he's a lot about tribe, just like we are here. Um, interaction with kids and raising them right and rough housing. He has strong opinions all, on all that stuff and nutrition as well. So yeah, anyway, I just can't wait to be running through trees. <laughs> yeah, his YouTube stuff is fucking cool. So if you haven't checked him out, go have a look. He's a legit parkour guy who kind of, yeah, started in the urban scape and then ended up in the trees. All right. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I can't wait to wrestle with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's into the rough housing, right? Same shit. A um, couple of things happening in the gym. Uh, our permaculture garden, which is going to be happening out the front. We got our plans in just the other day, so the build's going to start soon. That is exciting. Yeah, there's grand plans. Um, who was it? Our man, Aiden. Aiden. Also your man. Also your man, yeah. He... Um, what do you call... What does he do? Landscape I think he's a landscaper. Archite- yeah. Landscape architect. Ah, right? yes. Yeah, his hands don't get dirty, but he designs beautiful <laughs> stuff. But we got the full cab drawings in. It's looking amazing. It'll be a mad ecosystem. And Tiora will be... He'll be unplugged. He'll be disappearing from the rest <laughs> of his life duties <laughs> for a right. few weeks, for sure. He loves it. Yeah, if, yeah. Anyone, if anyone out there has ever spoken to Tiora about permaculture, you may not have lived to be able to tell the tale because these conversations don't stop. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, you go to his Instagram and check out his, his garden there. He's got posts there with his kids and stuff. It's cool as fuck. He's good. He's good at it. Yeah, it's dope. Um, and our grappling program just kicked off. I think we're in like fifth or sixth week. We're adding a few more classes as of next week, so that's actually super dope. The fight, lift, move, uh, you know, philosophy of the JBs has taken even a, you know, gone to greater depths. We've got people wrestling now, which is sick. Um, I want to give a quick shout-out. Sponsors, we're fueled DeLuca Coffee. Our man, Lucas, trains here at the gym, runs one of the dopest coffee shops in Botany. In fact, I'm going to say straight out the dopest. Uh, and roastery out the back, so it's all his own thing. He's in Sumatra right now sourcing beans, and I've been following his Instagram stuff. Yeah, no, do- no joke. No, I know, I know. <laughs> he skydives, yeah. and he goes to Sumatra, surfs big waves, sources beans, and he runs a coffee shop here, and he's got a family, and he trains in the gym like a fucking beast. So he's a man that I respect. He's fueled us with, uh, with the filter coffee in today's episode, so big shout-out to him. You can check their stuff out, thelucacoffee.com. Um, also, our sponsors, Primal Collective, they keep us dosed up on, uh, on the goodness of the marine algae oil, the grass-fed ghee, the turmeric tabs, the roasted crickets. There's a whole bunch of good stuff we get from them. Primalcollective.com. Check those guys out if you're looking for some, uh, some, some healthy superfoods. Um, and then lastly, reach out to us if you want any help with your training, if you're looking for a new tribe, if you're looking for some guidance, whether it's in person, online, whatever. We're always open to have a chat and we, 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 we welcome new people coming into the tribe. Um, just get in touch with us via the webpage, which is junglebrothers.com, or you can hit us up on Instagram, which is Jungle Brothers Movement, or on our Facebook page, also Jungle Brothers Movement. And, um, and uh, let's talk, friend. Your tribe is strong right now. Very strong. Very strong. Um, okay. Well, let's get into it, hey? Yep. All right. Emily Lewis. See you. <laughs> Last one, but then there's one few Skype interviews that are floating around. Yeah. So 
I'm not sure that counts as a podcast. I kind of kept this set up as a podcast. A Skype interview as a video chat Skype thing. Yeah. So. It's funny though that the, like even the, the, the low quality production still goes just as far sometimes, doesn't it, from like an exposure or marketing perspective? Yeah. It's kind of like, it's basically what I do with my videos. Like, let's face it, the quality is shit. Like, my sound is shit. My camera is pretty good, but I can't use it, so that's shit. <laughs> I spent like so much money, I get so many complaints, my voice is quite hard to pick up on a mic anyway. And then I get so many complaints, like, your sound is shit. I spent so much fucking money on mics and shit. I've seen that actually, I was, gonna, I was gonna comment the same, and then I saw someone was like, your audio sucks, and you were like, I'm doing everything I can, man, we got the gear. But it's like, I've got someone in touch with me, and said, oh, you have to get this, this, and this, and all this shit. I was looking about five grand worth of equipment. I'm not a YouTuber, it's not like an instrument thing, I just like put stuff online to help people. Yeah. So then I'm like, uh, maybe. Dude, I think it's time for you to seek sponsorship on some shit. Yeah. Anyone out there listening, just you know. Yeah. I think it's time to blag your way into some free mics and audio gear. Yeah. I don't know, what I figured out lately is uh, Tom Merrick, the bodyweight warrior on YouTube, can make better videos than I can. So now I just kind of offload whenever I see him, I'll make a video, and then he'll do it, make it nice. What has he been like copying your videos? No, no, no. So I know he's a really nice guy. He's on YouTube. Makes, makes a lot of videos anyway. He's more of a YouTuber than me. But every time we've, had, we've recorded something and he's edited really nice, I can't edit for shit. Yeah. The sound is good, and then you know it gets out that way. Saves me having to record it properly. That's smart. It's actually been like for us that the podcast side of things is easy enough, but the video side of things is a fucking ball breaker. Yeah. Like it takes so much time to go out edit and do it well, and Paul's the only one of us that can do it. He kind of does every other thing. What's <laughs> wrong? All the shit. So, MF. Yep. Just for people that don't know you, what do you do? What do I do? That is a great question. I really can't answer that anymore. So in my public persona, I basically teach people to touch their toes more effectively. <laughs> let's just, let's sum up what it is. In general, I teach a system of flexibility training that I figure that I've collated from a lot of sources. And then I share that. And then I use everyone else that I train privately as my test subjects. And I try to make it more effective so it gets better. That's the gist. But then it's kind of, you know, with private plants, what else do we do? We train acrobatics, we train handstands, we focus more, slightly more towards circuit skills. We do strength training, I teach people internal martial arts to a certain degree. A lot of things in there, but a lot of things like the public face and more the flexibility stuff. If you look at it, it's what people struggle with the most. People, you know, we know how to get strong, it's well done in most places. We know how to get fast where people want to be fast. No one really knows how to make adults flexible. That's the kind of thing. People have pieces, but no one really has the whole picture. Yeah. I don't even have the whole picture. If anyone else says they have the whole picture, they're lying. They're not for a fact. Yeah. Well, why is that though, just in terms of, like, because I guess some of the stuff that you teach has been around for a long time. Yeah. And mentioned in your workshop. Is it, has there not been enough time to work with adults or? I think so. The problem is with flexibility training, more so than other training, is really 
it's multi-variable, like all our training, like one person will respond to one type of flexibility training, uh, which on paper you could get two people who are identical, you know, same age, height, training experience, levels of current range of motion, same joint range of motion, so they should have the same flexibility potential. Uh, you'll give them both the same program, and one of them will make progress, and one of them will re regress. You like if you pick these same athletes and said, okay, they have all the same back squat, front squat numbers, of the training five years each. Um, they have they do the same in all your strength testing and everything else. And you go, okay, we'll give them the same strength program. Both of them will make progress and probably about the same progress. But you know, there's still a bit of that in strength training, whereas flexibility training, like one of the main things I come up against, more so than anything else, is people going, I just I'm not flexible. So I can't be flexible. I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. Like these kind of limiting things. Kind of thing. Yeah, where it's like I had a good lesson in this as one girl I was training, or two kids for a private to she wanted to do side splits. Um, she was yeah, you know, can you step a few inches closer to okay. the mic, please? Better? Yeah, you don't have to call it okay. <laughs> not video this okay. <laughs> So yeah, I had, I yeah, I had one girl came to a private who wanted to work on side splits. She came in, she had X plus square front splits cold, which is rare. She had fucking amazing bridge. She had over pancake, butterfly. And she was just like, I can't do side splits. And she was about 40 centimeters off around 30 centimeters. Uh, like, looking at all the other bits and pieces she had, she should have side splits, because if you have all those other things, you have a good front split, you have a good pancake. Side splits is in there somewhere. She's like, I can't do size bits, I never can, my joints don't move that way. So, perform a couple of tests on her just to show her, look, this is your femur, this is your pelvis, this size bit works this way, hip scour test and everything. I convinced her, and then I just kind of commanded her CT Fletcher style to do a side split. And she just went completely flat, dropped 40 centimeters with no wall, no nothing, just like, and then it was like flat, I was like, alright, 15 minutes into the session, what else do you want to do? <laughs> and she's had it like forever since. So we don't really come up against that. You do a bit in strength training, but it's easier to psych someone up into strength training. Like if someone's going to go for a big squat, everyone has their own psych up. You know, if you really want to rather a few slaps, you know this works. Slip some salt. Yeah, slip some ammonia. Do what you got to do, but it works. Whereas if you do that for flexibility, it doesn't work. But if someone has this limiting belief, then you could do all your end range strength, all your yoga, whatever fucking style of flexibility you want, that will not work. It's an interesting thing. So you just told the girl to get deeper? I literally I told her, like, I explained to her just basically, you know, your hips function perfectly for side splits. You have a good pancake and a good split, and good tailor's pose. Like, you know, if we, you know, look at all this, your pelvis is right, femurs are in alignment, they're perfectly 180 degrees. You can do this, and just kind of like, no, I can't do that. So, trust me, like, I believe that you can do this. Just try it, and then if you can't, we'll look at it. But you can, and you know, kind of bullied her. Tony Robbins style. Yeah, but then she could. But it was like instant, it was just like boom. Whereas other people, like I could have done with her, just an example, because she tried some of the stuff I put online before, as well as like every other style. She's done pole dancing, was her thing. She tried every other style of flexibility training, like all the videos online of various people's courses. She tried you know, in-person, other stuff. 
but she still just got this belief that she couldn't do side split. Mm. It just wasn't possible for her body. Yeah. Whereas, <clears throat> I know how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you want it or not. I command you. Yeah. But same with like my PA Mary, who trains me as well. She she had like this big belief that she couldn't get flexible for a very long time. It wasn't as instant as that. But until she got to this point where flexibility training just hurt her because she'd resist it. And it just wasn't working. She was actually regressing for quite some time. But until she got to the point where we found the type that she enjoyed that she could do, and which I wouldn't consider it optimal training. But when she could start enjoying it, then the flexibility came very quickly. So like no one enjoys squats, but you still get stronger from it. If you don't enjoy your flexibility training, you're gonna regress and not progress. Because you won't embrace it. Yeah. So there's a there's a what you're saying is that there's a psychological element to, to stretching. Uh, yeah, I strongly believe that more so than it's kind of like why I shift the focus. So you guys on the workshop the weekend, but I shifted the focus to explaining the flexibility as a task the body has to achieve, and then once it learns how to do the task, the range of motion becomes available. Now we have to use all these end range strengthening, isometric style techniques, and dynamic techniques to teach the body to educate about what it's doing. But if we take that, that covers the psycho psychology of it. That's just like, we're just trying to learn some new skill. Mm -hmm. Oh, now we can do it. Can we do it a bit better? A bit better in this context and go a bit deeper. Whereas if you don't have that, if you don't have this context of going, trying to actively go deeper and the ways to do it, then your body will just clamp you down. It's kind of like, uh, how to describe it? So Kit Lachlan always describes flexibility as you're, in strength training, we have these range of motion, our body is used to it. You're stepping into <coughs> the unknown, so to speak, and you're at the edge of the map, and you get up to your end of your range of motion. Then when you go beyond that, you're into the unknown. And for a lot of people, like one of the things that scares us is the unknown. Like, what's our fear? It's not like, oh, yeah, bungee jumping and shit like this, but it's not the bungee jumping, it's what happens after we jump. Good feeling. That's the, that's the fear, like, yeah. you know, I don't know if you guys bungee jumped or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, see? Yeah. The unknown, but you basically gone in, and now you can want to jump again, probably. No. I guess. I still don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like. That, that, there's something interesting there, though, that I think probably a lot of people don't understand about training in general, but definitely very relevant to stretching, is that the you're working, like, we tend to think of it as just a mechanical thing. Yeah. So you're just like putting pressure on certain tissues and they're becoming longer and that's allowing you to express yeah. more range of motion. Whereas like what you're talking about is it's it's more of a neurological thing. Yeah. So like I don't yeah, for me myself, like five years ago, ten years ago, I probably never even thought of how my nervous system had control of what I could do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's definitely well, we have a few things going on, because that's the thing, that's what I'm saying, it's always multivariable. It's very hard to get an actual true passive stretching. Like once, if you're like, if I try to purely passively stretch, if any of my body is free floating, then the joint, once it approaches the end range, will become active on an EMG. If you look at what they have to do in, say, the bird wing studies, they were splinting these wings and fixing the birds, like pinning them down to fix them in place to give a pure mechanical loaded stretch, pure passive stretch. Same with like when they're stretching calves and some things they're looking at. Mechanical loading, as we know, is a factor for hypertrophy, so they're comparing stretching coming from the end of the paper. 
of the calves to get hyperdrugging, but to get a purely inactive EMG stretch, they had to put the guys into a leg press machine, support the back of their legs, so not only free-floating, and then kind of wedge them in place. Whereas if I think about doing my classic calf stretch, like a single leg calf stretch off a bench, my whole torso is floating around to a certain degree, even if I'm holding on to something. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that, like people think, oh yeah, passive stretching. Well, let's say pancake, and since the floor goes forward, oh, I'm hanging on passive stretching. You're not actually, because some of your torso is floated. If it was purely passive, then the torso wouldn't be need to be supported. Like if you were lying on a Swiss ball or something like that, yeah. or over a bunch of pillows. Yeah, that's the thing, like, yeah, so over a bunch of pillows is the classic stretch therapy one, right. or yin yoga do is a little lot, where they like surround you with cushions and pillow, <clears throat> and then it's a purely passive stretch. Yeah. Well, if we look at most of our stretching methodologies and the way people set them up, they are set up some way that is going to have some active requirement, but because they haven't really got the intention, which was I was talking about a lot in the seminar, then it becomes very slow. Whereas the way we look at it, if we have this intention, either to come out of the stretch or go into, so progress or regress into the stretch, whatever you want to call it, then your body starts learning and the nervous system starts getting more information about what it wants to do. Then we use the task-oriented feedback of like, oh, here's a task, you've achieved it, congratulations, have some dopamine, do it again. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes much better, but it also takes out this whole the internal interoception side of stretching, which is, in some ways, is, how to describe it, it's a lot of people just don't have a good feeling of their body. It really shows, like, if you notice yourself, so oh, can you feel the difference between your sixth and seventh rib? <laughs> can you feel the intercostal space between the third and fourth? You could if you practice it, but if something starts going weird there during a stretch, if we put something exterior to your focus, then you'll begin to go, you'll ignore all these weird signals in your body, your body goes, ah, task, achieve it, objective, goal. Mm -hmm. That kind of works. We notice like from most psychology things, if you have a clear goal that you can achieve, you'll get there. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just have a vague goal of like, oh, I want 10 million in the bank. If we all want 10 million in the bank, but like, mm -hmm. how are you actually going to do it? And we look at all the tasks we achieve, it's like, you know, very simple, you can try this at home if you're listening in, you know, sit down on your pancake, try to touch something on the floor, come out a little, try to touch a centimeter beyond that. These are our incremental step goals. If we think about like, I want to make 10 million a year, uh, maybe aim for 100,000 a year first, then you can think I'll try to get 150,000 that kind of way, and then it becomes realistic. Yeah. Do you I think, think that, um, oh, sorry, well, after you. No, you go ahead. I think that uh, the, the passive stretch with the pillows, getting somebody into these positions is a good segue into to, um, convincing the nervous system to accept a deeper stretch. Because we're talking about this psychological barrier that a lot of people have is like nerve relative. Is, is that, how do you go about get, like getting over that barrier? Because I'm guessing there would be people who you know, suffer from maybe they've had some kind of traumatic experience or they've been in car crashes and stuff like that. They're a lot more protective over their body yeah. than others. I'm guessing their nervous system would be a little more sensitive and more protective. Do you, do you have a way yeah. of dealing with... That really comes down to client psychology and how they actually express this. So we always have to, remember as I said, the three W's. Who are we speaking to? 
what do they want to do, where are they in relation to these goals. So if you're doing your client interview with you're trying to just understand some of the motivation for it, generally their motivation is always wrong when they start, but it becomes better. But you still have to get through it. It's like, you know, oh, I want to be flexible. You speak to them, well, what do you actually do? Actually, I want to chase my kids around the park and not feel in pain when I wake up. Different goals. But say someone who is really protective of their body. One, knowledge is very empowering in this thing. We know this from modern pain science as well. But just in general, if we really know what we're trying to do and understand it, it's been well explained to us mm -hmm. in a way we can understand. So, you know, we don't, if someone has no anatomical background, explaining them Ruffini type endings and penation angle and all the shit that just plays over, but you kind of explain what they're doing. Then you just have to regress the stretch to the point where it's got a task that they can achieve that is within their goals, and then let them play with it. It's one of these things. Like, I do like the purely passive. If someone is really stretch resistant, then setting them up with the cushions is like that. But I find, particularly with people like I deal with, you guys would, it's, it's the slow route, but sometimes you need to do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can kind of play with this and once people get like, it's this question of the unknown. You're, they're trying to go into the unknown. They're scared because they don't know what will happen. So maybe we don't need to push them into the depths of the stretch. We just let them explore. It's kind of like, a, has anyone ever had a pet cat? You get a pet I have one. You get a pet kitten. Fucking pet cats. I love cats. I don't like her. I don't like her. I have one, but I don't. Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't want to use this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you have a, like, a cat end up dying, it does sometimes. <laughs> Look, if you have like a pet kitten and you want it to start going outside the house, you leave the door open. It's going to go outside the house a little bit and run back in. Keep going. It could, you know, potentially just run a whole mile away, but it won't. It will mm. slowly explore. It's that map. That yeah, it's the sensory map. Just mm. like, what can my body do? Mm. It's the same with like, I'm sure you guys get the exact same. People come in, they start doing BJJ and they're terrified of hurting themselves for the first time. So you don't throw them straight into rolling with like a purple belt who just wants to wreck people. You kind of like, we'll give them something, you know, we'll go gentle, you let them, you give them a controlled technique that you're, you're just going to get in, you're just going to try this out. There's no variety, there's no randomness, you're just doing this. As they get better and get a vocabulary, then you can start to push them a bit further. But up until then, a lot of people are, people think they made a glass in some ways. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to, you know, tap on the no, glass a bit mm. to the point where they realize okay. actually it's not going to break. Mm. That's kind of yeah. It's like, you know, particularly people like that population will be new to training. Mm. If they're new to training or had a very long break, you don't really need to stretch them. You just need to train them, let them move, joint rotations, press ups, squats, full range chin ups. And then after they've done that for some time, then you can think about stretching them, but it gives them like, okay, this is a very familiar exercise. Everyone knows what a chin-up is. Everyone knows what a push-up is. Then you can start building on that. You give them some sensation in the body. You know, oh, okay. It didn't break off that 20 rep squat workout. Bit of stretching one mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I wanted to <clears throat> ask you, uh, I missed before I was putting some food on. You were talking about like what you do um, and I wanted to ask you, like, uh, can you give us a bit of a timeline of how you came to where you are now? Because I know you're involved in acrobat. Yes. Yeah, so uh, acrobatics when you were younger. Yeah. So let me see timeline. So 
Born in Dublin, so I was in Dublin for quite some time in primary school and secondary school. The first one we had, the PE teacher would also teach gymnastics and sort of acrobatics on that. Yeah. So I learned that. Then I moved to secondary, a different secondary school that didn't have that program. But I took up rollerblading, like extreme sports, jumping down stairs, parkour yeah. on wheels, basically. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of cool. I call the way to put it out. Yeah, once we got it out, oh, parkour on wheels is cool. It's not just gay rollerblading. <laughs> so, were you the, any good at that? Uh, at the time, I'd be good compared to how the level is now. It's fucking amateur hour, but but you were doing rails and stuff. Yeah, like I was that. doing rails and jumping down like fifteen step stair sets and shit like that. Mm. So. Just doing that, yeah, that's pretty cool. Then, no, I'm not even taking <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing, it's like skateboarding, rude rollerblading. Like, if you look at, like, if you go online and look at what people are doing now, it's fucking yeah. insane. And it's just like a complete, total forgotten fringe sport. Yeah. yeah. Just like people pulling double backflips with like two twists down fucking 30 foot, like they're getting pulled into the stair set by a car. To get the speed up to go down and do that, like it's like skateboarding now. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's on steroids at the moment. Yeah, it has been for some time. Yeah, skateboarding's gone like this weird. It's very creative now. It's not so much the big shit, but it's a lot of like. That's true. You see, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I've definitely noticed it. We were skaters when we were young, and um, yeah, I watch it closely, and yeah. it definitely it got to a level so technical. People were, like flip in, do a flip while I'm in the grind, and I'll flip out. And then it just got so technical that it was just a bit boring and now it's like more artistry and how you can use the space yeah. come up with something different i yeah. love it now no, that's yeah. true right? and the body like there's almost a, a bit of an acro element to it totally for the guys yeah there's some dude i don't remember his name but i was really impressed with one of those videos seeing skateboarding where he looks like your stereotypical 1960s hippie i've seen his video flares, i know which one you're talking about tasty shirt yeah he does that slide where he like gets a little little slippery yeah, 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 kind of plastic sign. He puts his hand down, and, like slides with a little bit of a hand slide. Yeah, and it's like he's obviously very fucking good, but everything he was doing was like, how the fuck do you think of that? Yeah, smoking a lot of weed. That yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> so that was you on rollerblades so smoking weed rollerblades. back in nineteen. Well, we only had half back in our okay, yeah. right. <laughs> shit stuff. But <laughs> uh, was doing that. Then I went to university that was doing study physics and chemistry, theoretical physics, and I dropped out of that because it was boring. And also hey. taking up juggling as performing in nightclubs at the stage, and uh, doing fire shows. It's very cringy now when I think back of it, but I was boss back in the day. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, fuck it, I can make a career out of this. I went to one circus school called Circus Media, then I went done one year course there, then I went to Circus Space in London, which is National Centre of Circus Arts, where I've done a little degree. Then I was performing for, I don't know, about eight, nine years, but then I broke my wrist, which meant I. Couldn't perform anymore. Couldn't okay. really. I couldn't actually do anything. But this is, it's okay, but it's still slightly fucked. Yeah. So then I was like, uh, I couldn't handle. I couldn't even do a push up. That's how bad it was. Or a chin up. I couldn't like grip. So I was like, gone for two years. So I was like, oh shit, I gotta make some money. What's the easiest way for an acrobat to make money? Personal training. Yeah, sure. But then, so I was just doing that for a few years. Business in London. It's going good. But then more and more people were seeking me out, based on the back of like. Gymnastics body is getting popular. This is before the release foundation. Kind of Edo was beginning to get on the scene, but people were like wanting the acrobatics, the non-service, because there's always training service people. Mm -hmm. But 
was the non-circuit beam we wanted the acrobatics, the handstands, the flexibility. So then I got that, but then I just got more into coaching flexibility because like strength training and acrobatic training, it's for me it's quite straightforward and I think it's you know, we control volume, we control load, we progress as much as we can, we pick the thing. It's quite I've been doing it like quite a long time now, so that's yeah. easy. But flexibility I like five, six years ago, I would have said, Oh yeah, flexibility can be programmed the exact same way, but it can't. That's what I'm finding out over the last few years and constantly learning new things. So that so, was intriguing there for you. Yeah, it's kinda of like it's all this thing, like all the research on flexibility is just shit. It's <coughs> really shit. Well, just on that, were you saying it's because they were they do it on like untrained populations? It's it's a mix of things though. Like just I had a comment on my Facebook that I really strongly agree with in any field that now that we have the facilities of it, particularly in sports or dance science or anything like that, we should take videos of the researchers or their assistants teaching the exercise of the program to the people taking part in it and the coaching and queuing. Because you'd be able to watch that and you'd be able to see why some program didn't work and why something else did yeah. and why the results got. Like, there's one say just squatting and stuff, I made the point on that. So, like, oh yeah, I've been to some workshops with really advanced people that have really big achievements. Certainly, the average thing, like, I know powerlifting coaches in Dublin who would regularly get someone who has like 100 kg squat, 110, 120. Just by giving that person a technique session, just going through, do this, do this, change that, change your stance, brace harder, blah, blah, blah. They'll add 10, 15, 20 kg in someone's lift in one hour. If we look at the sports strength training science, they'll have people at that level and they'll make less than that increase in 12 weeks and they claim a positive result. Whereas, like, well, did the person know how to squat effectively? Where they coach properly on how to squat to get an actual baseline? Or did their technique just improve over that time and they got more efficient so they could squat more? So that kind of thing, and that applies to flexibility training where there's one paper I found recently where I was looking up some charts and papers on ballistic stretching where they done they compared ballistic stretching to static stretching over four weeks or something like this. Clearly the static stretching was more effective, fair enough. But the program they'd done was nine exercises for three sets each, each with a minute pulsing or a minute static. So 27 minutes of work in an hour session. If someone had done 27 sets of pulsing stretching for the legs the way I coach it, they would not be able to walk the next day. Like mm. that would just wreck them. Mm. Like literally, mm. you would be totally fucked. Yeah. Whereas they rated that the static stretching caused more pain. Maybe it did in this population, you can't tell. But until we actually see how that program was applied, what cues they were given for the pulsing stretching mm. and the static stretching, you actually can't make any judgment call on it. You can just go, okay, we have it on paper, but we do not know if these people can implement the program effectively. So true. And that's what happens in a lot of strength training. I'm just like, all, all our physical things, like, yeah, there's in strength training and cardiovascular training, it's a bit better because people have been doing it, there's much more interest in it over the years. So there is people are like universities where you know, like say Lockborough in the UK, where you know people get really fucking good coaching on the hands-on side for weightlifting, squatting, benching. So you go see a study come from there. You rate it slightly higher. Whereas flexibility training, like I've met loads of these professors, I've named I've been to conferences, I've been to all this shit. Most of them aren't flexible. Most of them have never taken anyone who can can't touch their toes and got them side splits. 
there's not this practical base, but you can find professors in strength training who have taken people with like a 100 kg squat to a 200 kg squat. They were rare, but they do exist. But until you actually see videos of the program being implemented and what the coaches are like, what can you say about it? Like, so true. Yeah, it's like, um, what's the difference between coming to, I don't know, you can go into a fitness class at some global gym somewhere yeah. and they're teaching some body weight stuff and kettlebells or whatever. Yeah. And it's super mediocre and then you can go and do it right, like our gym yeah. where there's high standards, quality coaching, you know, the cues that suit the individual and it's a completely different experience, isn't it? Yeah. And a different result. Yeah. Not to plug the Jungle Brothers. No, I think it's like under what avenue, but yeah, get it. We're plugging, but that's the thing, it's like, Effective coaching, particularly like we look at the current model for most papers, they follow the university term structure. They. That's to your idea of packet of chocolate. Peak chocolate. He's, yeah, he's <laughs> off the coffee, guys, but he's eating the caffeinated chocolate like a mother. But it's behind <laughs> his back. Behind his back, so it looks like a toddler. Stop the chocolate. So, that's what Universities? Yeah. Papers? Papers. So the papers, they follow the university term <coughs> structure, 8 to 12 weeks. Mm. It has to be submitted. We don't really know the person's history. Maybe the professor supervising it is really good. Maybe not. Maybe this person, like, I remember when I was in university doing physics, one of the first things we were taught when we got a shit result was to doctor your results and doctor your data set to make it line up with what you wanted. Huh. They that taught was, you that? They taught us how to do that. I, and then this interesting thing is one of the pieces of lab equipment was broken, got broken about halfway through the term, and people were expecting it to give like a nice logarithmic curve or whatever the fuck it was. But then people were getting wrong results in their lab work, and then everyone was just getting told, oh, you change it this way, you change it that way. And no one thought, oh, maybe the equipment is fucked. Everyone assumed the equipment was fine, and that they were just not using it right. And then they were told, oh, you doctor your results, Sorry. this is what it should look like. This so Dangerous. I know that goes on. I know, like I've heard this from other professors who are kind of working in biosciences, that this shit goes on. It's like, then it's also the replication problem. Like most of your studies, <clears throat> yeah. the whole point of science is that I describe a method, that I got a result, and then I would like you and your team, who are different to me, to go off and repeat this method mm -hmm. and yeah. see if you get a same or similar result. Then we can compare results. Then hopefully more and more people will do it. And then we can do a meta-analysis and then see yeah. if it actually works. So, so if you wanted to do a study yourself yeah. and it was in, you know, a uh, credible kind of uh, setup, what yeah. would that look like? Because given that it's like you need to nurture people as well, and yeah. it's kind of psychological, as you say, you'd almost need to film. You need to film. Oh, you said that. You need yeah. to film, like, all the sessions. You basically would need to do it. And just You'd also need to... The ideal flexibility testing for me would be taking sedentary adults and training them for 18 months on different programs. So one person would just get purely static stretching, one person would get you know, pulsing, one person would get end range strengthening techniques. Then after 18 months of applying these with whatever methods of progress you want to use for them, then coming back and performing all your tests that would give you a much clearer idea if things are working or not. And then combinations. Yeah, then, then you get into the infinite thing of like, uh, if we pulse one thing, then do some ISO, you know, it's 
against mm -hmm. get like that's the other thing with like say the strength training testing. They'll test say one exercise and one method in a session. Yeah. Not to not all the time, but a lot of times it's be like, okay, we'll test cluster training. Then it goes, oh, cluster training is effective. That's fine, but if you put it in a standard session with say six exercises, does it remain effective or does is it overload? Yeah, like, yeah. There's all these variables. You know what I'd love to say is like <clears throat> you test someone um, end range closing or whichever technique, yeah. you do two people exactly the same, yeah. but one person, uh, you film it and you're like, you'll never make it. I don't think you've got the structure for it and your, your genetics, like I, I don't think that you're made to be flexible. And the other person who is in the next room is the exact same genetics, but yeah. <laughs> you're just encouraging them the whole time. I'd love to see where that would go. That would be much. interesting to get some twins to do. Just like, yeah, yeah. You got some twins, don't you? What? You got a couple of students, uh, twins? No, Josh and Moore, they're brothers. They're brothers, yeah. They're known as well, there's three of them. There's a middle brother in there as well. Slowly making coach, but our come training. Let's find some twins for you. Do it Let's online. Twins, if anyone wants it all. Do these exercises. With the know what we're going to do now, yeah, yeah. it's the problems. <laughs> we'll find some. But well, we don't know which one's going to work, so yeah. it could be good for either. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So ring in. <laughs> so Emmett, you train uh, a lot of um, uh, what do you call the the um, people that are like hypermobile, the contortionists. Yeah, contortionists. So you're teaching a, like a contortionist to get more flexible than they already are. Generally, I would say a contortionist is born, not made. Yeah. I'm not sure other people disagree with that, but for the very high levels of it. You're dealing with elite levels of flexibility, same as like elite level sprinting. They have to have certain type of fascia, they have to have very mobile. For a huge amount of them, I don't actually stretch them. They do no stretching. They only do range of motion strengthening work and like skill, like contortion skills, which is kind of end range strengthening as well. So they don't get really that. Now, other people say if we take someone who is flexible, but not that genetic thing, they want to get super bendy. Then we have to kind of max out everything, and that's where I've, it's kind of one of those things. Like for general population, we don't try to do as little stretching as possible to get the results. For say the aerialists or pole dancers or people with high levels of flexibility, with me, then we kind of like have to throw everything in the kitchen sink at them to max out all the potential. What would that look like? So it would look like they would have specific workouts for different types of flexibility, almost. So they'd have say one day that with stretching. Just like say splits, say we'll just do it for front splits. So they do over front splits, probably two different variations, maybe three. So they might do over front splits, just so, the, like with the feet elevated. Yeah, so say front leg elevated. Yeah. Then either back leg up against the wall at right angles, or back leg elevated just straight with a back bend mm -hmm. done isometrically, so they're trying to build some strength. They'd also do the other side of that, like so standing leg scales to the front and side and back. Maybe dynamic, depending on the day, maybe weighted and not. Then maybe the next day, when they're nicely fatigued, we put them into pure passive stretching. So they're just like, okay, we're just going to sit and hang out the stretches. It sucks. I'm going to want anyone who's trying that. It really sucks sensation wise. It was very fucking effective. It works very, very well. So they do that, then they have. Because you're going to be, you're gonna be sore from the day before, right? Like to, yeah, it's going to be sore. It's very interesting in that I've spotted over the years is on the day after loaded stretching, a large percent of people 
once they know how to relax through the DOMS, are actually more flexible, have greater range of motion than the day four. Hmm. Which is very interesting because if you think this one of the things has cued me on, I've seen enough people that I can say this quite confidently, is the, if we say stretching is purely strength based, the day after your workout, if your workout has been successful, you should be fatigued. You should not have as much strength. This is what we're looking for strength things, same squatting. We do a fucking heavy squat day, next day we should be jacked, and then hopefully we'll surcompensate to a higher level. In flexibility, it's the other way around than a large percent of people. That's the thing, this is the thing I'd like to test out. Anyone's in a university and wants to get me into design studies, I'm okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> just plug that. But I see people will come in, and they have to know how to breathe through DOMS. It's one of those things where DOMS is just reaction to some muscle damage or. For those that don't know the acronym, delayed onset muscle soreness. Yeah. So when you get sore after a, a training session, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, so they go in, but once you coach people through, it's just breathing, just breathe, relax, breathe, relax. Maybe reduce leverage in the case of splits if you need to support the back and knee, whatever. But for most people, they will display more range of motion. Hmm. And that's. After the first set? After, yeah, generally they do like a bit of a warm up. So the classic session on that passive one after loaded would be, you know, do some joint rotations, we'll warm up. Maybe let people foam roll if they want just to get some compression analgesia. Then we let them stretch. What's the theory behind that? You know, why do you think that? that That's this is the thing, it comes back to this task orientated thing that people have spent the day before. So think about you go and learn a skill, and then the next day you're going to be better at it. This is my theory, this is my working hypothesis on it. Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe not hypothesis, it's my meta framework for the way of thinking about this. So, because it's fresh in your mind. Yeah, you're sore and a bit stiff just from doing the actual strength work in the ranges, but you still display more range of motion. Now, for someone who isn't too used to the body, used to kind of like working through DOMS, then it's it's a bit uncomfortable. They won't really get it. But for more advanced people, it works. Do you see any like long-term negative effects from like hyper? hypermobility so dealing with again if we go back to like the elite what happens to somebody when they have like this excessive range of motion in their body and then they start to get old and the muscle starts to deteriorate um, and all things happen when you get up. It's one of those ones. It's it's like every sport. If you take a high level rugby player who's was in great shape and they start training, they're gonna be a bit beaten up. It will be the same flexibility if you can on the circus and other stuff. Or not competing performing circus or whatever gymnastics, you will be a bit beaten up if you've been doing this a long time. It is kind of like the rust in the system from doing sports. But a lot of this stuff can be mitigated by keeping up a baseline of your base conditioning. It's also it's one of those things that work with a lot of people who are hypermobile, aerostatics type two and stuff like that. And the classic physiotherapy advice for them is to not enter these hypermobile ranges to stay out of them as much as possible. For me, that is a fallacy because just by life, you will end up in these hypermobile ranges. If you look at someone who even has hypermobile knees, on the posting phase of their stride when they're going through, a lot of them will hyperextend the knee without even thinking about it. So we actually have to train people in these ranges gently to begin with, don't max them out. But once you're like, you know, my knees hyperextend. Okay, well, when you're doing a leg curl, we'll let you go a bit into hyperextension. 
than output. Obviously, you do your listening and just try that. You do test the water very gently with this, but it does build up. And like a lot of people have like back pain or neck pain that is related to this type of flexibility. And by getting them much stronger or much more control in the ranges and more experience of using it, then the pains disappear. It's interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So if your if your body can go there, you get strong there. Yeah, if your body and you just keep keep staying strong there as you start to come out of your career. Do you, yeah. do you deal with any uh, any people coming out of the circus that that are Not suffering from pain and I looking for a way to really? I generally like if someone is in a, like a lot of pain. I don't like as I said. I don't really deal with pain. It just comes as a side effect of what we do. If someone's in a lot of pain, I'll just refer them out to. I know some good physios around the world who are used to dealing. That's the thing with physios. They're like, if you get a good physio, they're worth their weight in gold. They're good at everything. Yeah, they're good. But or if they're good at working with a certain population, I'm sure you guys know like someone who can work with jits. You send them, them, you know, like oh, they they know the language, they know everything. Yeah. So if you have physios like that, send them out. Not that easy to find. It's not that easy to find, but like I have a few who just like some of them like do pure voodoo as far as I'm concerned. It works. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Like the you mentioned, you whether or not you like if you try to avoid going into that end range, whatever your end range is, you're gonna get forced into it at some point anyway. Whether you're like tripping over, fucking you know, chasing after your kid. Or, and this is something that's been really prominent for us in the last couple of months since we started our grappling program, um, but that like a sport like grappling yeah. or jiu-jitsu will push you into ranges of motion whether you like it or not. Yeah. And you'll, you'll fucking end up there. And, you know, usually it works out all right, but it's also probably why it, it has such a high injury rate because there are times, small percentage, when it doesn't work out that well. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that, that's kind of... That's a big, big part of our message is being like, guys, understand that that's going to happen and do whatever you can to prepare for it. Yeah, like it makes total sense. It's like, you know, the whole point of a joint lock is to basically find out what a joint does and then make it do the exact opposite. Like that's what we're trying to do. Oh, my elbow bends nicely in deflection. I'm going to overextend your elbow. Yeah. That's what's going to make you tap out. So you've got that kind of thing going on. So it's like, it's one of those it's like I was saying to you guys, like, I've been trying to get someone to implement this judo idea I've had for quite some time, that we know isometric tensions of 30 to 90 seconds do build connective tissue. By putting people into joint locks and making them regress, like try to come out, resist against the lock, and try to deepen the lock, you can get the strength and all the tissues crossing the angles. So anyone's tried that out. What we're talking about there, for, for those people that find that hard to visualize, it would be like a, well, we'd have to know, let's say an armbar yeah. in this situation. So it's a typical jiu-jitsu lock where you're trying to break somebody's elbow. But you would have a person put you in an armbar and then under you know controlled intensity, they would take the armbar to its end range, to the, yeah. just to the point where you're almost about to tap, right? Yeah, Maybe yeah you don't want to sink it deep, deep. You yeah. just want to get to the point where they can still display power. Just have them push against it, like resist the lock. So Resist, try and, try and, yeah, try yeah. and bend the elbow again. Yeah. And 30 to 90 seconds yeah. in that position. And that will help you strengthen the joint and strengthen the connective tissue. Yeah. Now you do have to be cautious on this, but I think it's one of those things that could be implemented very quickly in a class situation, you know. 
you put a wrist lock on me, I'll resist against it, do it once or twice a week. Twice a week would be optimal, I'd say, on this. Then you can just go, okay, we know our knees get beaten up, let's just try it on the knees. We know our wrists get beaten up, let's do it on the wrists. Or I suspect it would cause. Also, it gives a lot of benefits. One, the person applying the lock can really spend the time trying to find the details to make it as efficient as possible. The person in the lock just can spend a lot of time in there, so they know hold on, I'm in, I can brace against it a bit, so I have some time to figure out an escape if I can. Yeah, probably wouldn't try this on chokes now. <laughs> just where you're about to pass out. Yeah. We did it, actually, we've, we've experimented with it a bit in the last sort of six months. At our retreat last year, we did some, and then a little bit in our grappling program. But, but really, yeah, kind of selling it as the idea of giving people a chance to understand what being in that that final moment of the submission yeah. before you have to give up feels yeah. like. But then also, like you said, giving the person who's applying the lock uh, a chance to understand what it's like to be there and, and, and what small tweaks or adjustments they need to make to make it work. Yeah. I think it's like a genuine thing. I know it will work because we use the same thing in acrobatics and gymnastics. How do we strengthen all our ranges? We go into them in a controlled thing. So things like the basics of strengthening your elbow for planche. We start with things like front support, the elbows turned out locked, and like go contracting the joint. Then we'll move on to say ring supports or ring flies, this kind of thing. We're slowly changing the leverage across the joint that makes it more and more intense. But you don't throw someone like who's never done like the basic floor reverse grip, floor plank or planche lean. You don't really throw them into full range of motion, full straight body, ring flies to begin with. Yeah. It's kind of there's a progression level to this, just with in gymnastics acrobatics, we use equipment or we use exercises that kind of go up. With kids, you just sink a lot deeper. Yeah. <laughs> just apply a bit more pressure against them. Yeah, I guess it gives you a bit more flexibility, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I remember when we posted some videos about it, I showed this bunch of beginners getting stuck in uh, heel hooks. Yeah. And I was like, guys, this is a heel hook. And I had all my jiu jitsu friends reaching out on Instagram, like, Dude, you can't fucking teach beginners heel hooks. <laughs> Which is like, you know, you go to Jiu-Jitsu for like 10 years or then before someone teaches you a heel But I was like, no, 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 it's not about that. We weren't, yeah, we weren't actually trying to kill anyone with it. We're just exploring. <laughs> oh, man. It's running, like, I was watching that Baz Rutten compilation I was watching recently. It's one of the fights that he done, it wasn't in the UFC, it was pre-UFC, where he heel hooked someone, but your man also kind of got him at the same time, so he just cranked the hook took your man's foot off the end of his leg. Oh. You can see there's the moment where it's just like, oh, there goes all the ligaments separate. Oh. That's fast. Fucking pretty gnarly, eh? Yeah. Tell me, Emmett, you have uh, the name of your, is this your, is this your business name, the Silver Leap Project? Yeah, it's kind of defunct now. It was, it was basically me and my partner. We started off. You have a partner? Yeah, Elisa. Oh, of course. Yeah, I didn't realize it. I thought, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So at the back end. But she, we started off like a few years ago. We were actually going to be doing more documentary style stuff for training around the world and kind of vlogging as well as making videos about it. But unfortunately, my mother's partner got sick with cancer and passed away. So we were in Thailand at the time. We had to go back to Ireland and spend a few months there hanging out with my mother. And thanks to them, kind of the project got blitzed, but I was still running everything under that. Most of the stuff has now shifted onto the same with the But still like the Silver Leap project. 
Where'd you get the name from? Uh, you know, Elise <laughs> and her friend had a couple of glasses of wine and came with <laughs> so. And she's doing motion impulse, right? Yeah, so. That's her jam? Yeah, that's her thing. So she was organizing my seminars. And then, because we, you know, half my friends teach or teach systems or, or coaches, they were like, oh, we want to do seminars, but we can't organize this shit. So she was like, oh, I'll try searching for a couple of people. Then more people were like, hold on, you've done that for Evan Craig, can you do it for us now? Yeah. And now she's gone up, like, it's it's not crazy. Like, they're doing, they're doing this year, so they have retreats with Tom Wexler. Tom Wexler. People, people who play with him, very good sort of dancer, acrobat. They have retreats with Rafe Kelly as well. Yeah. I'm sure people are familiar with the whole group play. We're going to be coming down here next month. Oh, yeah. Train night, yeah. Yeah, I think I was actually hanging out with Simon Tucker this morning as well. Okay. He trained search as well, so. Yeah, right. It's a nice guy. I think they're doing a retreat, which non-motion impulse related, but still, their retreats, they sound pretty, that's about pretty chaotic. Is it the ancestral, the ancestral move again? Kind of come down when you want. It's a yeah, it's pretty free mm-hmm. flowing, but I think they get like it's kind of not structured but unstructured. I tapped into one, so anyone listening can correct me on this one has. But I was talking to one of the guys who gone. They were doing capoeira one day. They were doing forging, like you know, metal into <laughs> shit. Yeah, sort of campfire. Yeah. They were doing tree climbing the other day. You know, a, a massive mix like basket weaving one year, hunting like with bow and arrow, that kind of shit. So that's cool. It does look interesting. So, I think he has like an 11. Oh, I spoke to him, I met him last year, and he said they're about to go on one, and it's like 11 days where they go down and people come and go, like whether they spend all of it or part of it, yeah. people come and go. But they have quite a few numbers throughout the, the period. But yeah, he said it's kind of, as you described, unstructured, yeah. and there's always something. Structured but unstructured. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Like, There's no yeah. like set times, like, oh, we're up at six and we're doing Whitley. <laughs> yeah. So there's that, but then the thing that I'm really interested in is so Adidas started organizing with this uh, thing called Fan Munchen, so Free Arts of Movement Munich, which is a parkour group. They organized the first German movement convention, which is, it was a weekend training. It was Cheaper than like an education seminar, about 100 euros or something. But there was 30 different teachers with different classes. They had a big ass like sports facility. Wow. Had like everything like trampolining, parkour, dance, yoga, juggling. Mad. Even someone like ran up just a spontaneous Rubik's Cube workshop. <laughs> but it was kind of like, it was aimed at like, there's people like us who are fitness professionals who work in the industry. So we need to constantly be kind of learning new stuff that we can apply. There's loads of people who want to do movement, but you know, they don't want to go to an education center and just want to hang out with cool people. And this is the thing that they're doing again this year, which is even bigger. But I think it's a good idea. No, it's a really good idea that you can have all these things going on and just build this whole movement community. Yeah. A lot of people like I know everyone's in the movement community. Community is used a lot of way just to sell you shit. To say it as it is. Yeah. So but these kind of like these kind of less formal events still have stuff going on. It's quite accessible. That is, yeah, that is community rather than just like we have an online community, obviously. But let's face it: if you want to have a proper community, you need to have like in people groups everywhere that is accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and shit going on. Yeah, and shit going on. 
events like that. I would go to an event like that. That'd be cool just to have access to all different professionals. Well, well actually, interesting, interesting you bring this up. After uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I went on a retreat in Queensland. Uh, it was a kind of plug retreat. Four days with a buddy of mine, John Marsh. Uh, shout out, John Marsh. <laughs> Owns a cool gym in Melbourne called Workshop. Legendary guy. But, um, uh, you know, I was there with him. There's another fellow, Vic. Oxley, shout out Vic, he's got a gym in North Sydney. Yeah, Vic was on the Yeah, 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 like yeah. Mr. Energy. <laughs> but we'll have a chat about some kind of event, you know, yeah. it's like we invite, it's it's open forum, we invite people down, it goes for a day or a couple of days or whatever. Yeah. There's music, there's food, there's different kind of classes going on. Yeah. And it's kind of open to whoever. Yeah. It's a little bit structured, but but it's, yeah, it's a cheap buy-in and, yeah. it's, and it's the same kind of idea. It's just that we haven't really had anything like that in Australia, right? Yeah. Now, I can drop a hint. I can't say exactly what is going to happen, but I Give do have the insight that Australia could be getting one of these movement conventions happening sometime quite soon. So Sick. I can't give any details other than that, but I've been hearing some. Let's beat him to it. Inside chat. Yeah. <laughs> so, when is it? <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's. Okay. This thing is like it's coming from like the circus background. We have a lot of conventions in circus that are either for groups of shows that have like one town and not a circus festival to have a lot of shows and other stuff going on so you get to meet people. But then we also have like circus and jumping conventions where it's like you'll come down, you it can be anything from a one day or to ten days. Where you come down, it's all community led, which I think is cool, that it's just, you know, volunteers will organise it. Sometimes it'll be paid, sometimes not, depending on the setup. But then it'll be camping. The cost in will be quite cheap because they're generally trying to get it sponsored as much as possible. Then you'll have like a board of workshops every day. They're trying to have like big ass sports halls for these. But you genuinely will have some of the best people in the world in their discipline. Just teaching, just because they want to share something. It could range from like, you get someone doing a three hour master class in advanced one arm handstand stuff to someone going, uh, learn to ride a unicycle for complete beginners. Yeah. And it's kind of like, if movement, I've said this a couple of times online, it's like if movement wants to move into a true community, it kind of needs this. But then it's the same like in circus. We have these level things, but then I can also spend like 1,500 quid to go train with someone for five days in a very intense, yeah. focused manner. Yeah. So we kind of cover, this is what makes the community. We can have people who are making a genuine good living from it from being our community leaders, teachers, event organizers, venue owners, all this. And then we also have the stuff where people are like, oh, I love doing this, but you know, I do it once a month for fun. Yep. Mm -hmm. We have to have like place for all these people in between. And then we have like, we have a true community that will remain and not a boastful ball. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I, I mean, yeah, that's right. It's not too, to discredit like paying money for an, an immersive no. event or something like that because you, you get a shitload out of that. But I like the idea of having something else that is super accessible. Yeah. And be. Yeah, it's kind of, that's the thing. It's like, it's not, you know, if you want to do this right, people need to be able to make a living from it. You know, people can make a living from Magic the Gathering, you know, card game. Oh, yeah. I love that game. Okay. That's lit up. Somebody say magic. <laughs> what is it? What is it? Oh, it's a card. Some card game. Game. Build decks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Valentine's Day. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. That's pretty much. We were out there on the skateboard for Valentine's Day. I have another question. It's kind of on the same subject, but uh, when you're taking taking the weekend workshop, you mentioned that uh, you like to see yourself as an anthropologist over a sport yeah. scientist. Can you tell me more about that? So it's kind of one of those things that I'm, you know, one I'm not a researcher or a professor at a university. I have some qualifications in this, but I don't test. I have no formal education, no PhD in this kind of stuff. Have some, but it's all self research. But when I was looking at flexibility training, I, it's this question when you're working in an anthropological framework, you want to interview people and see what they say about themselves. So this is identity, identity self-positioning. What do, what do the groups actually say about themselves? So you ask people, for me, it's like, how do you actually train flexibility? And they'll tell you something. And then you go, okay, that's good. Then you observe them and find out how they actually train flexibility. Now, because I understand the techniques, you begin to see, like, say, similar stuff to the end range closing or compression work. You begin to see that appearing in different places, but they don't call it that. It's just built into their activity and this kind of thing. So you're going like, well, people say they just do 30 seconds of this stretch, 30 seconds of that stretch, but what they're actually doing is high-speed ballistics through this section of a routine. Then they're, you know using everything in whatever context to say dance is the easiest one to explain it so say contemporary dance so they're using their flexibility in a soft and gentle manner against the floor trying to be as relaxed as possible moving we're also moving with a quality a quality called extension we're trying to reach out all the joints then they will also be entering and exiting all their flexibility from different positions different joint angles different things, spiraling in, linear. This gives a lot of variety, a lot of context of the usage of flexibility. Then they'll do all the same stuff, but standing on their feet, with their knees bent, with their knees straight. They'll do it traversing a floor. They'll also do these things jumping through the air, trying to like kick high. All these things, and then you go, actually, hold on. And then if you look at the lifetime of someone who starts out at dance school, and they've spent three years doing all this stuff, they'll have a certain level of dance. But then all their uses of range of motion, like this is another test, I'd like to just test range of motion at that school actively, and then at the end of it, retest it and see how much has changed. I guarantee it's changed a fucking lot, but without formal training on it, mm. because they've just learned to do it, and then it's constantly done over the day, and then it's just built into all their training, or all their choreography, or whatever class they're kind of doing, that then it begins to emerge, but we can just kind of dissect the techniques that work out, just basically what I've done. Then just put them into a more formalized context. Go, okay, you want this result in this kind of training? So, kind of thing. so what you're saying is, um, you'll ask a dancer, okay, well, how do you how do you get how do you stretch? And they they say, I, I sit on the floor and split and yeah. chat to a friend for two minutes or yeah, that kind of thing. And then then they go dance. Then they go and dance. And you're saying that the dance is well, the context of what they're doing is what gives them the range of motion and the strength of that range of motion. Do you? watch what they do in context, and then you take from that? Is uh, that what you're saying? Yeah, this is where a lot of task-oriented stuff, the inter external focus goes. But if we look at dance and gymnastics, on dance, you're trying to express a certain thing to the audience while getting a whole choreography that might be five minutes long out, even longer in the case of a show. So your flexibility gets used and emerged. As you get better on that, you can find the moments where maybe you'll stretch or not. 
but it becomes external. Same with say gymnastics. Like if we look at what gymnastics stretch training is, and then if we look at the active side of things. So example, if we said I want to do ballistic stretching, high speed, high displacement, uh, low frequency ballistic stretching, gymnastics goes like, oh no, don't do that. But in their floor routine sequences, they will have people doing jump and kick your legs as high as possible. Jump and do a straddle as high as possible. Do it to catch it on high bars, which is a move to pass through a really deep straddle. So they're getting this high speed, high radial displacement flexibility work, but it's just not programmed in as flexibility work. It's how they're using it. Mm. Same with aerial and pole dance. They try to get the most, the biggest lines possible. So what that means is they try to use their splits and over splits. What they're doing, oh, I'm upside down. And then I'm actively pulling my leg deeper so it makes a nicer line. They're doing it for an aesthetic reason, but it's still this whole end range pulling in, end range deepening, that kind of active side that we worked a lot in the seminar. But they just don't call it that because you ask them what you do for flexibility. It's like, oh, I go to the stretch class and sit in splits. Yeah. That's not the whole picture. So that's where the anthropology comes from. If I was just to go, what do you do to develop the flexibility? I'd be saying stupid shit like we just go sit in splits for three minutes and sit in Tinder. Sounds like a good afternoon. It's good afternoon. I don't know if you do yourself, but it's kind of an organic. I guess that kind of evolved organically, right? Though, so that was the nature of that activity, gymnastics and dancing. Yeah. And then it was like, ah, oh, we'll, we'll do this other stuff, like separately, a little bit of passive work. Yeah. And the combination works, even if they weren't kind of aware of yeah. the fact that they were doing many different types. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what it comes out to. Some sit like it depends on the system, the gymnastics coach, obviously, because some of them will understand this and structure it in a bit more successfully. But a lot of the time, like if we look at our gymnastics programs, a lot of the time like there's the head coach, then all the assistant coaches are just kids who kind of grew up through the program, got the 16, 17, done their assistant club coach qualification. They know gymnastics, but they know very little about actual training. But they just know, oh, we do this, and that happens. Yeah. It's kind of, it's also like, in gymnastics, it's, it's somewhat it's like gardening, that we have the kids, we put them into certain environments. We know that through the process of the iteration and coaching through these skills, they'll get better, then they'll do more advanced skills, that kind of thing. It's always like the same way we learn, it's iteration. You're never really good at something the first time you do it. And if you are really good at something, then you do something harder. It's like music. How do we start off? We learn the basics, we play some scales, we get better, we learn some songs. I'll give some songs, we'll learn some better songs, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's that kind of iteration process that a lot of people miss out on. A lot of people expect, just for the point I make in the seminars, a lot of people expect to be able to display perfect flexibility or the perfect position. And then they can't, and then they just go, oh, I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it. Whereas, like, say the way we coach Pancake, we allow people to round their backs, not excessively, but we do allow it. We allow bend knees, all this stuff, to get the right position. And then we know our iteration and our goal is to be flat back, flat legged. But we know, okay, we'll allow imperfection. And then we aim for perfect. Then when we get perfect, then you can go back and go like completely flat back into your pancake. And everyone's like, oh, amazing, it's flexible. That's the end goal. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, gymnastics of all things has that kind of idealistic approach, doesn't it, to a lot of its work, like, 
it has to be perfect every time and, and you know, it's the last thing like I've coached kids in this in circus, in like sports arco and circus and it's not like that. That's oh, the thing. Yeah, I remember that video, yeah, yeah. those kids pressing. Yeah, like I sent you videos like just the video I sent to Joe was one of the top USA gymnastics kids coaches in the fact he has been involved in multiple Olympians. We're going to shit on him a little, so I'm not shitting on him, but I sent him, Joe a video was complaining that this press was bending his arms on. So I sent him a video of these kids who are considered elite 14 year olds in the States doing some press exercises. There's 10 of them in the group, and six of them have bent arms and they're pressing. Yeah. And it's just like, that's okay. Because they, most of them will probably get college scholarships. And by the time they hit 18, 19, when they should be hitting their athletic peak in this, their arms will be locked every time. Yeah. But the intention was to lock the arms, they just couldn't do it at that moment. They couldn't express perfect form. So to go as an adult who's learning hasn't had like if they're four sorry, excuse me, if they're fourteen in gymnastics, they probably started when they're four or five. They've had ten years of possibly twice daily coaching with good instructors and have been placed in an elite program, so that like the cream of the cream in that section of the States. And they're still showing, oh, I've got bent arms. My toes aren't pointed exactly in the press. You have to accept that there is a bit of slop to be allowed. Would you, would you say that, that dealing with kids that age and dealing with adults though, like it would be, I mean, there'd be different reasons why those guys are, are showing the, the habits they're showing in comparison to, to Joe doing the same thing. I think I've seen recently one of the kids who was in that video. Oh, right. Have a go. Did we be like, have a tight and fucking. Come at me. <laughs> old and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, we just have to expect things are sloppy and we're not going to do them perfect the first time. Kids, adults, whatever. Even if you're working within something that would be good for you or that you have to. You have to we have to pick our exercises that we do have the capacity to be perfect in them. Otherwise you're working too advanced. But then when you get perfect or close to it, then we'll go something a bit more advanced. But it's kind of, well, we have different needs, I suppose. There'd be, there'd be more room for error yeah. for, for a 14 year old as well, would, would you say? I mean, they've got the, the range of motion be there and nice and elastic and there's still a lot of collagen and that kind of stuff but not kind of set stone as much yeah that's the thing i kind of it depends on the movement like say someone who is new to it's a classic example deadlifting someone who is very new to training wants to learn to deadlift i'm going to be rigidly fucking strict with hip hinging flat back i'll regress them to the point where they're doing like a romanian or a pin pull rather than have them lift from the floor to begin with if that same person like elevated, yeah, elevated just like the bar on hints, so it's yeah. like raised. So if they can only hinge to their fingertips below their knees, they'll pull in that. That same person three years later might have a two and a half times body weight deadlift, and I'll coach them to round their upper back just to get a more efficient pulling position. So there is there is ideal form when we consider it, and then there's context specific. So go about that. But it's also like have the attention. It's always intention a lot of these things. If you have the intention to get perfect form and kind of just push in that direction, eventually it will be emergent from our training. Whereas if we try to give someone too many cues and force them into everything at once, 
it's not going to happen that it's going to hit a block. I'm a good one. I'm not on video, unfortunately, but I had a picture of one of the girls in training who her handstand line was good, balanced her. Her handstand line was less than textbook when she started training me in January. I didn't say anything about line to her. I gave her some exercises that were aimed at hand balancing. Because she got better and more efficient at balancing, her line went like from less than textbook to like beyond textbook in terms of like perfect vertical straightness, back completely flat, everything. But that was emergent from the training and the process of getting efficient. So it's kind of like if you have the idea of perfect form, it's like Olympic lifting. We have the idea of perfect form. As you get better a lifter, your form gets better. Unless you just muscle everything. But if you have this idea, okay, this is the perfect form, I'll work on this, I'll drill that, then it will improve. Whereas if you don't have the idea of perfect form, you're always just letting the arms bend like too early, they'll always do that. But even if you're starting out your career, things start bending early. But you still have that idea, no, no, keep them locked, keep them locked, keep them locked. Eventually it will emerge. Mm. Have you ever trained any any fighters? Any fighters? No. Oh wow. Done like yeah. Joe Worthington. Hey, Joe Worthington. No, no, like Joe, actual fighters. Joey. <laughs> Joe <Joshua laughs> Worthington. <laughs> Sloppy Joe. There'd be a market there, I reckon. Yeah. Have you ever tried like tapping into that or? I haven't really. You know, I haven't even had anyone approach me first. Which is oddly enough, because I think with Edo and McGregor working together, there would have been. Who the fuck is that guy? Yeah, exactly. Fucking hobos. Where's McGregor gone, man? <laughs> and the hardest thing McGregor's going to have to do is not like survive his fights, but survive having a hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucked. Unless he can like channel it into something like I don't know, maybe a charitable foundation. Some investment, Give something. Investments. That's what well, like the investment <laughs> thing. You probably blow it all. Unless you have some smartphone manager, but like, yeah, it's a lot of money for someone who likes to spend it on Versace. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, go on. I cut you off there. Uh, yeah, no, that really. That's the thing. The movement side of things hasn't really taken off in fighting, but it's kind of. Yeah, I thought it would be more, but then I think I think Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz just ruined it all by. Calling for the in the park. So, don't think most fighters want to do that. Tess does it with gaining momentum. Tess does it gaining momentum. I get teased about that all the time when I used to turn up at Jiu Jitsu class. Oh, we're playing Touch Blood again. Shout out to Alex Potosovic. A friend of ours. It's funny, man. Like with the We ran a workshop last year, a couple of them, designed for to teach uh, jiu-jitsu guys and yeah. combat athletes in general how to just get more mobile and stronger in the, you know, yeah. stronger and more range of motion all that. Because they all struggle, like they've all got terrible mechanics. Yeah. Great for their sport, but just really suboptimal for every other part of life. Yeah. And, you know, like, I've, you know, we've done that work, I've been part of the jiu-jitsu thing for 10 years, I've been working lately with the, teaching some wrestling to a, to a rugby team, rugby yeah. club, and, um, I can't help but see all the time now, because it's, it's way more prominent in my own mind, that everybody just needs to get more range of motion. It's like, like all you guys are fucking strong, the girls are strong, but you need just a little bit more flexibility, and then yeah. you'll get even stronger and move better and be less prone to injury and better at sport and all those things. Yeah. But it's so removed culturally from, from those practices. Yeah. It's like, well, if I'm a fighter and I'm going to, 
and I've got an extra couple of hours a week, I'm going to do an extra grappling class. I'm not going to fucking stretch. Yeah. You know? That's the kind of thing you have to kind of, if it's not in the culture, you have to find a way to artificially put it in. Like, just an example of the fighting thing. So, Taekwondo, if you go to Taekwondo class, they'll have you like bouncing up and down the splits the whole time and throwing big ass high kicks because they want to kick high and splits is a thing there. Yeah. Whereas Jiu Jitsu, how can you get your legs apart just wide enough to get someone into your guard? No <laughs> water. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, there is that. I think it's one of those things that could add to it. But it depends. I think the pros would get a lot of benefit from it, also because they have time. Whereas average Joe who just likes doing three jits classes a week, it would work, but then you're also you're taking away their enjoyment of the jujitsu. It's true, man, but fuck. I mean, yeah, I get that for sure. Yeah. But they have a limited time frame for how long they can enjoy it yeah. until they can't do it. And I don't, you know, and I'm sure there's a couple out there, feel free to DM me. Yeah. But I've not really met a, a high level, like any, a, a brown belt or a black belt who was feeling supple and comfortable and pain free and good in their body. Yeah. It's fucking takes a toll and you know most of the time like obviously there's going to be injuries sustained that is yeah. unavoidable but often it's just because they're fucking tired how, how do you feel brand up for me like personally yeah like i feel pretty good at like your joints and everything yeah i feel pretty remorse. good but, but i've definitely kind of not taken jits that seriously right for a few years so yeah. i train a little bit and i think i'm at a i'm kind of fortunate in that i have a reasonable amount of natural flexibility and then I'm, I do plenty of strength training, so I, I think I'm a bit blessed with a good balance. Mm. Um, and the fact that I've just backed it off and I don't train, I probably train at max like two or three days a week in mm. over the last three years. Mm. Um, whereas I know if I trained, if I went back to my regular, like if I was competing, it was like four, five, six sessions a week kind of thing, yeah. for sure I'd be struggling. And I've had, you know, my back, I've had back injury and all sorts mm. of shit from bits, mm. even with whatever flexibility I have in Australia. Yeah, but it's kind of, it's the nature of the game, it's a combat sport. Yeah. I'm just saying, even though it's like, it's a sport rather than just like straight up fighting, the unexpected happens. And then, how do you prepare for the unexpected? It's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. Call Emmett. Call Emmett. I don't even think I can prepare you for the unexpected. Jump on board. Just Come to Jungle Brothers. Yeah, come to Jungle Brothers. I got a, um, I got a couple of questions that we've had sent in from the crew. Can I fire them away now? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we've got three. We've got uh, first one here is from. Uh, just bring this up. First one is from Liam Hamilton. Shout out, homeboy. Uh, question is: What are the top three must-do flexibility stretches or patterns? That's like it's one of those ones. But it depends on your level and where you're coming. Give us a, um, let's say, uh, let me give you a, um, a scenario. A 33-year-old 30, male uh, has played competition team sports, let's say soccer, late teens, 20s, yeah. pushed a bunch of weights around in the 20s. Now works a bit too much, has a kid, doesn't sleep enough, drinks alcohol on the weekends. Yeah. yeah. Pilot, push you talking about me? Push <laughs> <laughs> just call me out, Come son. On. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, train, back yeah. in the training, doing that thing. Basically training three times a week, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Your average training. So, yeah. Basically, for this person, before we put them onto more advanced flexibility work, I want them to be able to do three things. 
want them to be able to sit comfortably in a squat. We'd use the squat as an assessment thing, like is the back rounding or the shins too vertical, do they need more dorsiflexion, that kind of thing. I'd also use, I use overhead squats a lot for these, this population in particular to assess maybe if they need work on the lats, overhead stability, ankles, adductors, short adductors, that kind of thing can be assessed that quite successfully. Mm. If they could do, I'd like to be able to sit comfortably in a squat first with no shoes, just as it is. Hopefully first thing in the morning or as close to possible. I also want them to be able to get their hands flat on the floor on a pike. That kind of thing. It doesn't need to be excessive, but I do like that. Mm -hmm. Cold would be better, but you know, a bit of some people would need a bit of a warm-up, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'd like them to be able to get their hands overhead in flexion. So my handstand wall test. Yeah. Those three ranges, they're the they're the ones that build all the other ranges of motion in my mind. It's like our squat builds our pancake and our side split, our overhead position will build our bridge, our handstand, and then our pike just builds kind of little bits that we miss. Nice. Hip extension is a harder one to measure because you must keep progressing it, but I'd like them to have, the problem is like I'd like them to have some hip extension, which means actual true hip extension, but they'll have something there. Whereas a lot of people just don't have something. Talking about hip extension, talk like yeah. what is you see you're talking like So femur going behind the body line. Yeah. Most people display zero or even negative five. Whereas I like people to have depending on their joint structure. The joint structure might be weird because it can go range I think of twenty five to forty five degrees. So depending on your joint you could have a lot of it, or you could only have a little, which is fine. So I want people to have some. Generally, with this population we described, I wouldn't assess, I'd probably assess them with a Thomas test just to begin with, or a modified Thomas, just to get an idea. Mm -hmm. But then I'd look at, you know, them jumping, look at the pelvis and the femur when they're jumping, when they're running. Do they get extension there? Is it displaying, because static posture is one thing, but does it display in a dynamic context? Yeah. Then if it does, I don't know, okay. I like that. Like that. Can we do a video after this of those three positions? Yeah. We'll put it out there for the crew that wants to wants to see. Yeah, no problem. Second question. Big Red, also known as John Mullen. Oh, Where you. did you get your information from and what sources do you consider to be most valuable? It's uh, a great question. So a lot of the stuff I've done or learned, I've done some fucking courses over the years, with just all the standard ones you do as a fitness professional that None of them I rate too much, but they always have a little bit or something interesting. In general, the two books I rate as good is Kit Lachlan, Stretching and Flexibility. That's very good for particularly dealing with a population who are less experienced with stretching and getting ideas. Mm -hmm. They have shout out Kit. Yeah, shout out to Kit. They have some videos online, some video series. I've done a lot of workshops with Kit over the years as well. But they have some video series that are very good for explaining the positions. Maybe you wouldn't follow exactly how they do it, but you'll understand the positions quite nicely and how to set them up. Yeah. Then Thomas Kurtz is also pretty awesome. I like I like his stuff. Stretching scientifically. Stretching scientifically. I like the older for the older edition to the newer one because he's yeah, I just prefer it. Yeah, that's the ninety three edition of the two thousand three, something like that. There's much there's a difference in the text, huh? There's, yeah, he's changed a lot of the text and he's done this mistake, I think, that Pavel done. 
because it's called Stretching Scientific, he used the scientific research coming out of Russia and Poland and stuff like that, which was of better quality than the stuff coming out of the States. But then he's put in a lot of the explanations from the States in the newest one and some of the references that weren't great quality studies compared to what I was using. Okay. Unfortunately, like a lot of the studies in his book were only available in Polish when I went to try to find them, so translated and that kind of stuff, but they're still pretty good. His DVDs are good. There's there's one flexibility express which is Do you know where one can buy a DVD player? Uh, no, you can probably buy them online though. <laughs> probably you can download them. Just, I think you should pay Thomas Burns at least because he's great. But uh, there's one flexibility express where he's just displaying he's sixty something, you know? He's still got like full side splits. At one point in the DVD, he gets a 40 kg kettlebell, overhead, one arm, and in a side split, and then walks his legs in. Like, back, back to a standing Back to standing, so in side splits, he's here, just kind of <laughs> walks his legs in, and I'm just like, okay. Yeah. He's 60, he's got no injuries as far as he's admitting to. Maybe yeah. He also does like karate and fucking sparring and shit, but that's what we picked up a few there. But yeah. This still kick high. You know, this is this is kind of what you're aiming for. So, this is what I like from information sources that have lineage, either in terms of like they've done it for 20 years. Like kids done this thing. They ran their posture and flexibility, which became stretch therapy for 20 years in ANU. And they put, I think it was same recently. They put 20,000 people through their program to come up to what they know. Fine. Wow. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of hands-on work with people as well as they have all their teachers who they regularly would speak with and test out new techniques and other stuff. So when you have a lot of people like that working and a lot of volume through it, you're gonna come up with some good stuff. Same with anything, like you said, oh, we've put 20,000 grapplers to our program and they just consistently got better because we're refining our methods as we go. It's gonna be good. But we just don't get that too much in studies. This is good. I like there's a really old, rare Pavel VHS. Pavel Satsulinev, if people remember him. Kettledale Pavel from back in the day. He has a really good VHS, which is very fucking rare to find. They don't even publish it on the site. I was trying to find it again. But it's one of these ones I found it years ago, like when I still, even for my second circuit school. So, was that like 2001, 2000, 2001? So like 18 years ago. And it had all this cool pulsing ballistic stretching. Hmm. And then I think someone told Pavel, no, 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 you can't teach that in the West because ballistic stretching is evil, kill you and your children. Ballistic so. stretching, <laughs> for, for those who don't know, is where you're, where you're moving in and out of the stretch yeah, at some out. kind of speed, right? Yeah, basically. He was doing like all the stuff I was teaching at the weekend, like small pulses and big high kicks and shit like that. But he was just doing that. I was like, no, I said anything. But then I think someone had a word with him saying, oh no, it's too dangerous for the West, they can't handle it. So then he went <laughs> on and released his Relax the Stretch program, which is more... Oh wow. Which is, it's basically kind of like stretching scientific. It sounds like you actually just ripped that book off or go through it. Yeah. But if you can find that bootleg VHS, like you're in a Vinnie's and you can find that stuff, <laughs> like buy it and please send it to me. But uh, <laughs> but it was really good because I can remember watching it. It's also one of those things like, it's... It's this thing of like not trusting your sources. I had this experience where maybe we'll, maybe we'll shoot that as a little thing. Yeah, maybe we will. But you guys are making a little video. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, we're going to make a little video after this then. Hey. So there's this exercise I picked up to this date. I met these guys at a circus convention back in 98, I think. 98, 99. 
sometime around 1999-2000. They were twins and they had the best side splits I have ever seen to date. Now, they didn't have massive oversight splits, they were just basically perfectly flat or close to it. But they just had this degree of looseness in the side split I've never really seen since. And they were, they've done an acrobatic class with me, and they were shit. Uh, they could barely touch their toes, like one of them couldn't touch his toes, the other one could just about get his fingertips to his toes. Couldn't do bridge. Pancake, when you brought the legs like narrower, was pretty shit as well. So it's like, I was just like, yeah, I'm supposed to be this good. What's the secret sauce here? Mm -hmm. uh, they showed me this ballistic stretching routine they got off their Chinese martial arts coach. And this was all you had to do, like horse stance, all their forms and shit, and this ballistic thing where they had to do like 200. He was told they had to do 400 reps a day, <laughs> and one of them was, one of them who had the of the twins whose split was not as good as the other one. He was like, I only did 200 because it was going to be fucked. And the other one who was more serious about the martial arts would do the 400. And the splits were amazing. So we're going to film this just as a little flexibility anthropological find that is very uncommon. But I started doing it and I started having really good results with it at the time. But then I went to circus school and I was doing it in the gym and the coach came up and had an absolute shit face. They're like, no, you can't pulse in stretching. You're going to tear your shit. Me at age, whatever, 19, 19 and a half, whatever, just going, I don't want to tear my shit, you know everything because you're a coach. <laughs> I've never done it again until someone reminded me about it recently. And I was like, ah, there's something a little flexibility oddly we haven't seen in a while. So, sit on film that, I think. Uh, yeah, film it down the gym, you guys can put it out. Yeah, that'd be that. It's, uh, it's a nice little routine. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of this thing of like, that the coach that I talk about, like, uh, will remain nameless. <laughs> I've known them still, they don't fuck all about training. Like, they genuinely knew nothing. Yeah. Or knew very little. They knew enough about like acrobatic and tumbling to coach that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you also have to be careful who you actually go, mm -hmm. who you believe. Mm -hmm. It's this thing. Be, be open and trusting, I think, to a lot of people. They always mean well. But verify what they say. Always yes. verify. Either through your own experience. Yeah. Or searching like, oh, you know, don't do this, why? Because that happens. Find out if that's true. Open-minded with it. Yeah, open-minded. guys of skepticism. Yeah, just verify. It's like one of those things. We don't want someone who's ultimately confident of their opinion, their way is the only way. Yeah. Maybe it might be. But don't blindly believe people. Mm -hmm. We do listen to them. Always give people time to That's where you find out some gems. But until you actually try it out, you're gonna go, okay. Mm -hmm. Is it really? Mm -hmm. You got more questions, T? Uh, yeah, we have another question from Aaron Howley. Uh, he's, uh, he's asking if uh, you could speak a little about the, the central nervous system and, and the role it plays in uh, mobility gains and uh, methods to bypass and, and override. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not too sure what he means on the bypass and override. In general, we, I was thinking from an educational point of view, I'm trying to educate the nervous system about what its potential is. So in general, we need to use techniques when we're beginning or just learning positions that bias towards the nervous system. So what I'll use a lot would be, say, the overcoming isometric, which is we're pushing against the fixed thing that will not move. 
This works incredibly effectively, particularly when you're trying to move the shortening ranges of motion where the joint angle is closing, uh, trying to get that stronger. So we'll find a range of motion that we can control. Then we'll push against something where we have power, really ramp it up. Then hopefully, depending on your physiology, you'll get a transfer of strength over at 15, 20 degrees. Some people are really fortunate the strength actually transfers over their whole range. They're the freaks of that, but some people do. So we'll use techniques like that. We'll also like put the hands on the technique as well, like say pulsing stretching, the evidence so far is pointing towards that works more on the fascial and parallel elastic components. So that's a whole different subsection of flexibility that we could work on. The other thing is nervous system, it gets good at tasks you repeat over time, but it also gets better with a bit of variety. So we don't constantly want it repeating the same thing, the same stimulus. We want it to be able to display a bit of sloppiness, I suppose, maybe, but just, you know, it's no good being perfect on the perfect day. We try to do it slightly different, play with slightly different angles. You know, our tasks, maybe say we're a pancake, we reach something straightforward, reach something straight off to the side. This kind of thing, get all these little corners or ranges of motion. That will educate the nervous system a bit better. It likes variety. The more variety you give the nervous system, the more stimulus it gets. So new things, new tasks, different speeds, different angular displacement, this kind of thing will help it. And that it's kind of, if you take that context of the task-specific flexibility, task-oriented flexibility, you don't have to worry too much about what the nervous system is doing. I think. Hopefully that kind of answers the question. That's all that question from home. I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years' time? I see myself. What's your, what's your future path? I have been thinking about that a lot lately. So I have the online coaching, which I do, which at the moment, I take on take 25 people on at once. It takes a long time. Um, at the moment, we've got like 60 something, nearly 70 people. I think we're actually over 70 more the last thing on the waiting list, which is sort of stretching for about a year and a half now. So I need to start taking some coaches on, hopefully. But it's this kind of thing I want to keep quality from it. I'm sure you guys are very concerned with this at the moment, you're growing as well. That we still need to keep the personal touch and all the reasons people come for the coaching, but we need to expand in a way that is kind of logical. For myself, I'm writing a book at the moment on flexibility, which is hopefully going to be a telephone book size. Ooh, oh, yeah. Old telephone book, not a new telephone book. It's, it's an old telephone book. book. Oh, that grazed an afternoon there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that will be, it's turning more epic, more and more epic every time I work on it. It's like, oh, shit, what have I got myself into? It'd be epic if you're in the splits and some small shots on the front. Yeah. Kurt style. Kurt style. <laughs> Get like the girl with the massive hair. Yeah. yeah. And she's gonna have like the high cut. <laughs> yeah, the high like, cut. Like, yeah. But that look is coming back, I hope. So, oh man. Yeah. See? Any ladies listening out On there? On the internet, never left. You know? <laughs> no. No. Send me your stash. But uh, yeah, so I'm writing the book, which will, I thought it would come out this year, probably won't be until next year. I've been toying with the idea of launching kind of in. I don't want to say internship program because I hate that term, but 
some kind of coaching coaches program, which is much more involved. That will, I don't know, I, my own personal hate of the fitness industry is weekend courses where you become a master trainer or you become certified specialist or all this shit, where it's just like, congratulations, you've done a weekend course, you're now a certified specialist Muay Thai coach. Yeah. Like, you see, I've seen those things for Jiu Jitsu, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, one weekend fitness oh, yeah. Jiu Jitsu course back home. Like, I can't do a course like that. I can't put my seal of approval on someone who's done a two-day course, and other people can. But, you know, so the program has to be much more involved. It'll probably be two hundred-hour program or something like that. So we're trying to figure out the logistics of getting that going. Yeah, it would be good. But then toying with the idea of getting my own name off the business, getting more, maybe launching like. A flexibility development institute or something like that where we can train people in the methodologies and effective coaching that can also train other coaches and maybe make something a bit longer lasting. But these are all ideas. How, how, far, how far into the book are you? I have basically have the structure of the book. I keep having to add chapters, which is the bottom. So <laughs> it's about 12 chapters at the moment. I have the structure written out of each chapter's content. I have one of the chapters finished. I have the references for some of the chapters. I also have like the other things like we're gonna film a lot of exercise, photo a lot of exercises, we have to do that as well. So massive process. Yeah, it's it's like I thought I'd get away with like a hundred and fifty page kind of tone, but it's, it's looking probably about four or five hundred at least at the moment. It's big man. Yeah. And is the plan to keep traveling to get back on the on the road and working from uh, Thailand and stuff? Yeah. Well, we're gonna go back to Ireland now. I'll be there for some time probably, but around Europe anyway for summer. Mm. Kind of, it's one of those things. I enjoy being on the road, but I also don't. It's a. Is it disruptive? It's disruptive. It's just one of those things. It's very hard to get a plan going. Like personally, my personality always tends towards like I know my body so well, so for training. I know exactly what I need to do to get this result, or I can adapt it very quickly. If I can't do the perfect thing, I'm very reluctant just to do anything. You know, coming as a coach, if some of my clients said that to me, I'd fucking tear them out of it. Yeah. But I feel I've earned this at my stage of career. <laughs> well, training consistently for like 20 plus years. So. I'm kind of in this one, but you know, I shouldn't really do it. It's, it's my psychology. So it's like difficult for me to go, oh, I'll train one arm handstands because like we'll go to Bali and you can't put your hands on the ground because they get eaten by something. Yeah. Or that kind of thing. Or just even just like finding gyms that have consistent squat racks. This is what gets us a lot. We'll go somewhere but it looks like it has a good gym or an acceptable gym. That's that's, that's so good. They have no squat rack. They have no bars. Like there's training in Bali, there's some gym there. It's okay. It's the best one in Ubud wasn't saying much, but they had bars and I couldn't load them up to squat properly because they were the aluminium ones that were like 10 or 12 kilos. Oh, and they would just bend and I didn't want to wreck the bars. Yeah. It's like, you can't put 100 kg on this, it's just gonna go. So you get that, so like this kind of having a routine is difficult. That's kind of the cooking food, you know, the road is a pain in the ass. You generally have to eat out most of the time. I like to cook my food, so it's like, oh, I'm eating out. It's okay, it's nice, but it gets a bit boring. It's like, mm -hmm. I just want something simple sometimes. You just oh, have to go <coughs> speak to a waiter. Something clean. Yeah. So that gets a bit difficult. But other than that, like, it's cool. It gives me you guys. 
get to meet all the cool people I've met here in Australia, which is good. Shout out to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one. Well, that's the thing. I think the Australian movement community is really cool. It's a, it's very different than what you see online from the community, which is good. Not just Australians, but like you know, everyone I met here is really sound. We met the Get On Movement down Wollongong. Yeah, they're like shout out Will. Yeah, shout out Will. All that. They're a bunch like they're cool. It's like we had uh, who we got in there. It's mainly tradies arguing over who's got the better side split. Had <laughs> <laughs> like a bricklayer and a plumber comparing their debts. <laughs> For me, that's cool. That shows like we're not just like, you know, it's kind of like we're not just tapping into people who are bored with CrossFit market. Yeah. We get people who are just like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Creating like, yeah, like a new market almost. I wouldn't even say anymore. We're just giving people more options to do something that is cool and they're enjoying it, which is, uh, which is nice. And you guys as well. You guys are having fun now. Shit, yeah. How's the business awesome. going? Every yeah. day you well. Yeah. Business is booming. Yeah, things have changed a lot since last year for sure. We've got the biggest space now. Hence our layoff the podcast for the last little while. But um yeah, the gym's grown a lot. It's nice. like a, yeah, it's a big it's a big tribe now. And it's yeah, that's like you mentioned before, that's brought its own challenges with it. Yeah. You know? But um but I think that's that's also what helps us sort of continue to do a better job. Yeah. Is to have those challenges and then find a way to fix it, come, you know, surpass it kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of that thing where it's like, uh, what are we doing? Are people still happy? Half your old members, like myself, when I change people from paying by phase to just monthly billing, I send this to online. Monthly billing, same cost per annum. Other than that, we were just like, oh no, monthly billing. No, I'm out. It's like, yeah, right. Couldn't handle the adjustment. Couldn't handle the adjustment. Just like, I mean, you know, some people are just like, they're still on, like, they pay by their phases. Just uh, like working with them, and I'm just like, it's not a problem. They're like, no, I just can't do it. I have to do it this way. <laughs> Whereas you guys are like, oh, we're going to take space now. means we run two classes at once. Two classes at once. Actually, you that kind of shit. It's, yeah, it's true. There's definitely been that. And for sure, with the old members, you know. Um, yeah, fuck, we realised at the beginning, any disruption, yeah. there'll be a downside. It's that fear of the unknown I was talking about. People are like, oh, we've got a bigger space with more equipment. And so I'm going, oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think when we first moved in here, half of the, well, all the gym was like crammed into a corner. <laughs> no one was really spreading out. Yeah. I think I went so institutionalized by the old space. <laughs> but, yeah, it was funny. That was funny. Yeah. We have a hundred square meters. Do not move out. Yeah. Yeah. Most of but like I don't four think times the size back now. Yeah, four times. Four times the size. Nice. Nah. Four times, bro. I told everyone four times. <laughs> you tell people all sorts I of stuff. Seven times, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like four times the size. Three times the size. Three and a half. It's double for those who are interested in knowing. <laughs> it's double. It's more than double. That's <laughs> no, Way more. I'm, I'm in between here. I'm going to say three, three times. Fair. Yeah, three times. I agree. <laughs> You've got two toilets out, so you know. Two toilets? Like showers. It's true. You double the amount of. Toilet space. We will have four times the size once our, get, yeah. our mezzanine goes up. Mm. Well, yeah, well, yeah, that'll be four mm. times the size then. Nice. 
e-commerce. Now, is there somewhere where people can find you and find, you know, like get connected to Instagram, Facebook, website, whatever? Yeah, so Instagram is pretty good to get me. Facebook is good, but let's face it, Facebook is dying. You reckon? Facebook is going to MySpace, hopefully. Holy shit, is this because of the, the latest scandal? It's just like, it's, it's just a, like the latest scandal, it's just going to be a string of these things afterwards. Like one, anyway, I think there was some conference and all those tech things and Zuckerberg pissed off a lot of people, like Murdoch and that shit, so you're going to see negative things from Facebook anyway. But what you're going to see, it's, it's reached some peak, like I go onto Facebook now, I have to install separate apps on the computer just to make it usable. Fluff bust, shout out to Fluff Busting Purity. It's a great app, but just you can change all the options so you don't get all those shitty things. Mm. You can filter off your racist cousins, all this kind of thing. Nice. But like, it's one of those things like, <laughs> no, so <laughs> that is so necessary. Yeah, but like, it's just, it's, it, there's too much shit on it, and the algorithms change. For me, as someone who kind of runs a business through it, my reach has gone, so I put a post on my page. And get, nowhere, right? I get maybe 200 likes on it, and I could see it would hit about half my fans on the page. It's pretty good. Could boost it and get more. Now I put a post up, and maybe 50 people will see it. It's just, yeah. it's not worth me investing my time when Instagram is okay for a moment. But it's just like, what's the point? YouTube is good. Recently broke 10,000 fans on YouTube. Fuck yeah, it's Congrats. pretty good for only having like 50 shit videos, right? <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna put Your videos are good there. Yeah, uh, the videos are good, they're just like, they're along with my aesthetic. We do everything slightly shit, but that's okay. <laughs> the information is good, the information is good. Yeah. So, it, it stands above. If it looked too good, then people would be questioning your credibility. Yeah, it's one of the. People would be expecting more if they look too good. <laughs> Whereas now they just go, okay, it's having a chip as well. <laughs> but yeah, YouTube is good. The website is going to have more stuff on it over the next year once we settle down. So that's emmanuelewis.com. Yeah. Other than that, the other main ones, get all the information there. More information. Instagram is the best one at the moment. Yeah, it's sick. Fuck you, Zuckerberg. <laughs> Man, we'll put a link up to that stuff in the, in the show notes, and we'll also put up some stuff. We're going to shoot a video, right? Yeah, we're going to shoot a video now. We're going to shoot a video now. So we'll, we'll we'll spread that shit on Facebook. We'll even boost it a little bit, yeah. get the word out there. But um, man, thanks for coming on again. Thanks for coming back down for your third appearance at JV's as well. No problem. Thank you guys for hosting me. Always like the seminars here. They're always just the most fun. The first two are done. We're just fucking chaotic insanity. Which is great, just in terms of everyone showed up. Yeah. The last one was just like, it was the perfect end to this Australian tour. It was like, show the exercise. And didn't have to do anything because everyone was coaching everyone. One <laughs> point is every now and then. Like, the more advanced people all paired up with like someone less advanced, so they're able to guide them through it. And I'm just like, what are doing here? <laughs> you guys play with each other and have a coffee, so. Oh, it's a good crew. Yeah, sick. Well, man, fuck, it's always good to have you in. Yeah, give no us new stuff. And, and, yeah. yeah. Um, I should give a shout out to our boy uh, Lucas, to Luca Coffee, giving us fuel today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he'll give us you fuel. Give yeah, Paul and Tina the caffeine, so we're going to be pounding this week. Oh, like the caffeine. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's Luca caffeine and chocolate. But um, yeah, we're going to start. He's got a spot down in Botany. 
down at Banks Meadow Shops, get down there, get his coffee. DeLucaCoffee.com. Um, anything else we need to mention? Let's shoot the video. Let's go do it. Yeah. All right, see. Cool. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you. No, thank, thank you. you guys for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Mad episode today with Emmett Lewis. Big thanks for, uh, for to him for coming out again. Uh, we actually filmed a couple of videos off the back of that too, which are going to be up on our Facebook Ooh, page yeah. real quick. But there's the three-part uh, real simple mobility test that he, that he took us through, which was like crazy simple, really easy way to test where your flexibility is at. Benchmarks. Yeah, benchmarks. Um, mm. Your man. Keep an eye on that. That video is going to come out. And the other video was also a little hack that he remembers for the side split which was a real cool little uh, old school drill that he taught us from one of his old acrobatic mates. Um, so keep an eye out for them. Uh, big thanks to our sponsors today, DeLuca Coffee, the most badass coffee in botany. Um, shout out Lucas, the owner who trains with us. DeLucaCoffee.com if you're looking for any of the goodness or if you're coming down to the hood and you're going to stop by the gym, drop in and get a coffee there. And also uh, Primal Collective, those guys keep us dosed up with lots of uh, primal food goodies. PrimalCollective.com, you can check them out. Uh, real quickly coming up in the gym we've got Yuri Marmestein coming up April 14th and 15th he'll be teaching an acrobatic and hand balancing workshop here he's flying out from Vegas so mm -hmm. if you can get in for that get in because he's an interesting cat and he's only here once a year or thereabouts I didn't intend for that to rhyme uh, following April 21 to 27 I got my retreat in Bali which is a Jungle Brothers and uh, Human Evolution Lifestyle Project collab Six days in paradise, lots of training, lots of coconuts, good food. Uh, get in touch if you're interested. And then we've got Rafe Kelly coming in on April 28 to 29. He's teaching a two-day workshop. I think we're going to be running through trees and shit. So bring your shin pads. Um, yeah, that's all from us. If you want a hand with, uh, with any of your training, if you want to talk and just get a bit of a consult on it, if you want to find out how to get more flexible, you want to get strong, or if you just feel like you're not absolutely frothing on your training, then you should definitely get in touch. Uh, junglebrothers.com, real simple. Click the button, learn more, and you can just chuck your details in and we'll give you a call in person, not a bot. Um, you can also get us through the Facebook or the Instagram, Jungle Brothers Movement. Uh, DM us there, whatever. Just reach out. We'd love to chat with people who are interested in uh, you know, progressing their lives forward and, and getting the most out of their training. So we'd love to help. Nice. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I've got to try our sign-out line, Joe, which I think should be our sign-out line from oh, now on. Throw it. Yeah? You good? I'm ready. All right, man. Let's grab some lunch. Oh. Oh, now hang on. Let's get lunch. Oh, I can eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that. Sick. We're working on it. All right? All right, see you guys. See you guys. Till next time.